What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to Armchair Producers, episode 121. I am one of your hosts, George Terran, alongside the man, the myth, the employee of Razor Cult Books, Mr. Travis Croft. How are you, sir? Can't you do it assume I'm an employee? That's racist. Um, you know, a white straight <laughs> man. White straight men can't own businesses anymore, ladies and gentlemen. This is what <laughs> the world's come to. I'm an official loiterer, sir. <laughs> anyway, I thought this is appropriate given that little conversation at the end of a show last week about... Um, about I think the, that's uh, fair. I think the that's Ghost fair. That film, which is getting getting a lot of people who are very, um, very excited about. So I think I'm in the... Uh, I think I'm in the minority last week. Yeah, I... I think a lot of people are optimistic because I think there's still like Finn Wolfhart being in it and being a certainly a popular young actor because of Stranger Things and um, the 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 movie version of it. He certainly got himself a lot of positive um, cachet, and Paul Rudd is a very very much a fan favorite, I guess. Plus the fact that it's the son of the director doing it. It's like, okay, there's a yeah. lot of goodwill going into this. I, I think so. I mean, we did that last week, but I just sort of yeah. put this out for the show last week. But there you go. You we should have, talking... but you let us down. But we did get a new trailer this week for a friend of, friend of a show, Shay's favourite superhero film. <laughs> um, the trailer to Venom came out. This second trailer, yeah, Venom came out, and I didn't think I could get any less excited about the sequel. But they managed it. I don't, I don't quite get the whole thing of the the cooking sequences. Like, okay, um, sure, sure, but I am, I'm gonna go in with open mind because Woody Harrelson is great and. I think that he could be really good as Cletus Cassidy. I think that's um, his full name. Uh, so who knows? Who knows? We'll yeah, find I mean, out people soon. People liked the first one, and you know, I, I didn't think it was very good. So uh, it made enough money to get a sequel. I don't think it was bad. I just think it didn't really do anything original. It was kind of I, very safe. I, in, in contrast, to, I think, to the film we're going to talk about in a minute, but you've mm. nominated this, uh, the, the chain film of a week. Mm-hmm. I am just so done with um, movies that basically the, the premise is two CGI monsters bash each other. Um, I think I talked about it when we did Congress Godzilla a few months ago. I'm like, it's two CGI things on the screen punching each other. Wow. Mm. It's exciting. That, that was cool yeah. 30 years ago, right? You know, it hasn't been exciting. For a very, yeah. very, very long time, so I don't understand why people get so interested in seeing that happen. In a, you know, yeah, I guess maybe in a sense, if you actually give a shit about the characters who are punching each other, like Thanos and Iron Man or CGI, but we cared about them. Um, yeah, but you know, like they, uh, it's just a big. It was not even Woody Harrelson, right? It was Woody Harrelson punching Tom Hardy in the face at the end of the movie. That's something. But yeah. it's not. It's 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 two CGI monsters, and they yeah, okay, it's not very exciting anymore. Yeah, maybe they have a really great story in the lead up, and that sells it. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe could be it could be interesting. Um, just talking on uh, on trailer talk, I 
at work, I've been uh, subjected to the the tr- the comic book movie trailer reel. Um, there's uh, I've had to watch the Eternals repeatedly, um, Shang Chi, um, the Batman, um, Venom, and it's like okay, we've got some interesting an interesting mix right there because you know Venom. We both agree is looking very middling. Did you hear that in the background? Yes. <laughs> Apparently, yeah, the cat I, is being really pain, real I, pain I in the ass. Say, it was either Archimedes or the cat. It was one or the other. Yeah, he's being a shit. Um, then you've got uh, the Eternals trailer, which seems to be more like a mood board piece because. There's not really anything about the story in there except like, oh, it's going to be epic going from the birth of mankind to to present day and all that. Okay, but what's it about? Mm, Pretty people. It's just a teaser, though. I mean, in fairness to them, you know, they'll give us a little bit more next time when they come out closer to release them. I think I've I've registered that my deep, deep suspicion that these films are going to be some of the poorest work that Marvel's ever done. Um, mm. But much like you just said with Venom, I'm probably going into a significantly more open mind on Chang Chi and the Eternals because Marvel have earned that. Yes, Sony absolutely have earned zero credibility with their work mm. on Spider-Man films. I know you liked them a little bit, um, and all the previous Venom film. You know, it could be it could be anything. So, um, yeah. but I'm excited to see what they are. I'm very curious, but really, really don't look very good. At um yeah and then there was just to round it off there's the they're repeating the batman trailer and it's like okay that was great they had about 10 percent of the film filmed when they released this stuff and it already looks very good um it looks like it's actually trying to tell a a personal story very focused on the uh the duality of bruce wayne and batman and I'm excited to see more. I want to see a proper trailer soon. That'd be lovely. Question for ever popped into my head today. While I was in the shower listening to Bat Dance by Prince. Uh, as it's do, nice to know that you as, think as, of me whilst in the shower. You, no, no, I don't think about you. I was thinking about Batman. Uh, <laughs> Who do doesn't? you think Batman would hold the cachet it does today as arguably the premium comic book property in the world, I would say more than Superman, um, would it have that cachet without Tim Burton's film from 89 being so cool and so different and so big? Tim Burton's Batman is the reason that we have the MCU. It is the reason that superhero movies are the money that are the guaranteed bank that they are now um if it wasn't for that movie god i don't know it we could we could potentially have gone down an interesting tangent because you think about comic book adaptations like the crow which was very well received when that came out but again i think that coming out was a result of the success of tim burton's batman um there's always been since Christopher Reeve put on the um, the suit. There's always been that desire to get something as big and popular as as that onto the screen. So I think that we would have we would still be in probably a superhero movie bubble, but it would be a different 
kind of vibe to it. I don't think they would have evolved too much beyond like Sam Raimi's original Spider-Man trilogy, which and would we? Would I mean, you come to the point. Would we have even got to that point? Would we've got? I mean, some people say the X-Men was very important. Hmm. You know, but Brian Singer's X-Men kind of ninety-nine was the first one. Um, ninety-eight, ninety-nine kind of made a lot of money and kind of proved again. I mean, considering after the Schumacher films um, kind of killed yeah. the Batman franchise. But it was just a thought that popped in my head is that people don't seem to remember that superhero and comic book films were very much a, a rarity in, in the big screen. You had the Christopher Reeve films. Yeah. But other yeah. than that, there weren't many around until the, uh, the 89 Batman wow. film. And that blew people's fucking minds mm-hmm. um, because it was so out there and so different. Um, and I, I recall the quote from from Tim Burton. I think it was Tim Burton. He said, uh, "When they when they knew that he that Michael Keaton had been cast as Batman, and the internet exploded, and it didn't even exist yet." Um, yeah. And you know, well, I mean, was, Mr. Mom. <laughs> yeah, um, he's a, if you go back and see his films, he's a great actor. So, oh um, yeah. But you know, you go back and that film is so big and so special and mm-hmm. weird, but fucking weird, really, for a superhero film, right? But he got that much creative freedom to make mm. the film that way. Um, mm. And you know, it really made him cool, right? Because I think at that point yeah. in time, you think you talk in 88, you talk Batman, you thought of Adam West. Yeah. No one does the bat dance anymore. <laughs> um, I think that... Thought that popped in my head today. Yeah. No, it's an interesting one. I think that it's one of the most important movies to come out for modern cinema because especially just the narrative structure of it. And it's something that DC have not really been able to shake off in many ways. The hero in Batman is second billing <laughs> to the Joker. Jack Nicholson got primary. And that's, it's been the, the consistent thing of the, the villains usually outshine in DC properties and they seem so reticent to go into the humanity of the heroes it's it's an interesting one whereas for for marvel it is very much the hero's show and the aside from a very select few villains are one and done and that's it uh so two more things one i've read this week that they have cast a lead for the blue beetle movie for dc which is really a deep cut um for dc yeah it's going to be i don't even know the guy who was in cobra kai um, uh, Zolo Mariduana, um, um, Mariduana, I don't know. Mariduana's bad, apparently. Um, <laughs> um, but upcoming DC Blue Beetle movie might star Cobra Kai, Zolo Mariduana. There has been no mm. shortage of DC products, rumored to be in the works, so it's just a rumor. And I'll just say this mm. that this will not be the last we talk about DC tonight. No, no, um, I think it's kind of, I. I think that's kind of a no-brainer for a movie because it's a, a lesser-known property and a popular young star. Um, and the fact that if they stick to the certain, certain runs of the comic, they can really go into the Latin American kind of thing, which, again, representation, that's a good, fresh op- opportunity. So fingers crossed. No problem. I just don't know anything about the character. So, um, and it's interesting to see him making a deep cut. And as of tomorrow, Australian time, we will have mm-hmm. the Suicide Squad. And we the early reviews, I think, I have been avoiding them as much as possible 
but I think early reviews have been reasonably warm and positive mm. towards um, it, it's been an interesting um, battle of the of the fates. We've had DC really pushing this, saying, oh, 100% fresh rating. And then Disney came out and saying, oh, it's 100% fresh rating on Jungle Cruise. It's like, okay. Okay. That's that's weird, but all right. <laughs> uh, somebody posted it on my Facebook feed the other day, going, oh, my God, I'm so happy. You got a 96 or something on Fortnite Tomorrow's. And I'm like, <laughs> is that a good thing though i mean you know uh these are, are going to go there again these are the critics who gave ghostbusters a fresh rating these are critics who gave star trek discovery the glowing reviews and fresh ratings um that even last week to go back to the he-man series right like we kind of thought was okay has reasonably mm. good fruit and tomato but a very poor audience score and that could be because of review yeah. bombing but you know I'm going to wait and see on this one. Mm, I, yeah. James Gunn, I trust. But I'm going to yes. wait and Yes, absolutely should we, agree. Should we get onto the show other than just faffing around about stuff that we don't normally talk about? Like, we don't talk about comic books. <laughs> Let's um, But the, I want to get onto the, your, your chain movie this week, which is Strange Days. Strange Days. 1995 sci-fi noir thriller. Yeah, and it's a it's a weird one, isn't it? Looking yeah. back at it, so Are for those who don't, share I'm going to share. Just, well, I'm just going to have that running just at the bottom without okay. any sound, so it's Audio. just there. So but, you picked um, this one as a quite a um, quite a pedigree. Yeah, I mean, it's directed by Catherine Bigelow. This was coming off of success of Point Break. It was um, co-written and produced by. Uh, James Cameron, who he, was... He did a Cameron. film in the 90s you might have heard of. Um, oh, the, the, the Traminator? Uh, the, the, the Abyss, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the one you would have, you wouldn't have heard of it. Piranha 2, which is his first directing job. You would have definitely yeah. seen that one too. little bit of <laughs> a tiny obscure film in the 90s called Fucking Titanic was the next thing he did. Oh, that that went nowhere. Not to mention True Lies, the Terminator films, Avatar. He only directed two of the top three most highest grossing films of all time. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't he doesn't know what he's doing at all. But yeah, this, so this is um, like like I said before, it's a star studded cast. You got Ralph Fiennes, Angela Bassett, Juliette Lewis, Tom Sizemore, Michael Wilcott, Vincent D'Onofrio, just to name the the top. Kind of, and Alex, of course, was um Joseph Summer, who was our link from last week, yes. I think. Yes, correct. And he played the, the police chief in this movie. Um, before we get too far in, um, we'll just do a very quick one, which is the summary a former cop turned street hustler accidentally uncovers a conspiracy in Los Angeles in 1999 at the turn of the new year. I think that really boils it down. That's that's super boiled down because I haven't watched this movie in a long time. And going back to it, I realized why I really enjoyed it when I first saw it, because it's got action. It's got sex. It has got this kind of dark, gritty 1999, 2000s era. Um, it had a lot of social commentary um, about like um, 
black lives and police in the US at the time. And it had that little element of sci-fi to it as well. Watching it this time, I realized, wow, this is a bit of a mess. It's not an easy movie to watch. I would agree, but I don't, I think maybe a little harsh to call it a mess. It's not entirely successful. Um, but I still think it's a thoroughly decent watch. Oh, yeah. I just think that it's kind of a bit all over the place. <laughs> um, and it, it, it is. It's, it's, I kind of feel like halfway through the film, you kind of like, they're going somewhere interesting with this. They're going to, as you sort of say, we have our character uncover a conspiracy. You know, there's, that's a, there's genuine threat involved. Um, and you're like, we're going to find out what it is. It's going to be interesting. And in the end, it's a little bit mundane. Yeah, it kind of ends up sort of like, like it spends, it's, it's quite a long movie, two hours, 25 minutes, something like that. And you don't really get to the genuine crux of the movie, this almost like a murder mystery kind of thing, a detective chasing a bad guy, until about an hour in. It's just a, a lot of introducing it. Bit, bit, bit of context for the audience here. So Ray Fiennes is a street hustler, and he's wonderful in this, by the way. He's playing against type yeah. a little bit. Um, he was in uh, Schindler's List, I think, the year before this, maybe. Uh, maybe a year or two. It's the most probably the role that got him this part. And he, very, very different to what you – I mean, and he went on to do, you know, um, oh, what, the, uh, the English Patient. <laughs> very – you know, he was very austere British dramas, you know. Yeah. Uh, and here he is playing a sleazy, oily street hustler, but he's very good. And his castle mm-hmm. is he has uh, sells access to the squid technology, which is basically uh, military tech or police technology that has been turned into the black market that records memories mm. and onto, onto mini discs. Remember mini discs? I had a mini disc player. Um, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't afford a mini disc player. <laughs> they were expensive, and they, and, you know, you couldn't get pre-recorded music on it here, so you had to record your own. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. They were good though, in a way, because you could you know, they didn't skip like a CD. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know if you can actually record video onto them. So, um, yeah, I don't know about that. But anyway, they're very <laughs> obviously mini discs, which were very high tech in mm. the mid nineties. Um, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he. he he sells any basically pornography, anything you'll sell except for snuff, which you know people be yeah. killed or, or rape and that sort of thing. Um, and example of that is the opening sequence. It is from first person view, a robbery, and the, the as as a note on this, the camera work is incredible. They in developed an entirely new version of type of camera to allow them to shoot that. Yeah, or shoot those. Um, it took a year to do that. Again, I mean, today, you know, you see it all the time, right? It's so mundane. Mm. Your GoPro would do that super big, you know, <laughs> four, 4K, and that cost you 500 bucks. But these guys had to develop an entirely new system to shoot those first-person sequences. Um, mm. And one of his friends uh, goes missing and turns up dead. Uh, and he starts receiving these weird uh, recordings of his friends being um, um, his friends being 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 raped and murdered by a, a, by the killer, uh, and 
you know, you think it's going somewhere interesting, but I, I would suggest the um the destination pay perhaps it doesn't pay off quite as well as it could have. Um, yeah. And as you sort of say, it turns into a bit of a mystery whodunit thriller. Um, you know, who can you trust? You know, he's got threats on every side. Um, and the only person that Lenny, Nero, Ray finds his character, can actually trust mm. is his um, friend. I've heard it described as his bodyguard, but I don't think that's actually an accurate description of her character. Uh, his friend, Lornette Mason, played by Angela Bassett, who I think... Yeah is actually the real breakout star of his film. Um, 100%. Also, would I say one of the more fascinating things about this film uh, is she's actually the hero. Yeah. He is a yeah. damsel in distress. He's just like, ah, oh, you know, and like, a, I'm just a salesman, you know, he's the, but she's the badass with, like, defensive, like, kung fu training. He beats the shit out of people and, you know, drives a bulletproof car out of town and, you know, it's, She's the badass. Um, mm-hmm. And so yes, this is actually, this event is very interesting because I've been having ongoing conversations with people. Mm-hmm. As you know, we talked a little about last week about why I think films, especially you know, who try and insert that force, mm-hmm. that diversity, especially when it comes to female representation, into their films in a really clumsy, ugly, obvious way. There's yeah. nothing obvious or clumsy about this. And this did it 30 no. years ago. And as I said, you can walk away. It's very obvious to me watching this film. Angela Bassett is the badass hero in this film, uh, but without being the protagonist, which is an interesting challenge. He's an interesting mix. Yeah. Um, but you can, you can, you can, if you're a talented writer, uh, include mm. a, a, a female badass character again without being the protagonist. Mm. Very easily. I mean, this is James Cameron again did it very well with um, Linda Hamilton in the Terminator films. Yeah, and the way that he injected that level of motherly nature into Ellen Ripley in Aliens. He is his proven track record for actually having very good, strong, realistic, in many ways, or at least rounded female characters in his movies, especially when they're in the lead. Because, yeah, they, like Linda Hamilton, she starts off as this kind of mousy girl who just works... <laughs> fucking fast food place but the evolution of her character as she goes on it's awesome and it's all organic and it feels really true and real this you've got mace being this whole character and just breathing these elements of depth into her performance it's awesome to see this is what this is what female um roles should be like not we're doing this because it ticks that box and we just gotta, and we have to do it. So uh, I don't know how. Just say yeah. she's awesome. She's good at everything. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know. Like, I mean, I, I, I again, I don't want to get too down this rabbit hole, but it occurred mm. to me while I was watching it, going, they're very cleverly and subtly making her the hero here. In that she mm. regularly rescues uh, mm. Lenny from violent situations with her skills, but that's established. Yeah. Early on, she rides her basically is a limo driver, runs her own company, as best we can tell. And mm. you know, uh, when he's kind of hustling one of her clients, Lenny's like, "Oh, she's got self defense and weapons training, and the car's bulletproof, of course." Um, and you're like, "See, one line of dialogue, yep. one line of dialogue. We know she's a badass." And then yeah. he, he proven to be a badass through her actions later on. And you know, and it's interestingly, it doesn't make Lenny look like a weakling at the same time like Lenny has his own set of strengths like he's an incredible hustler and talker 
Um, yeah. but he's not the guy you want to go in, go throwing fists with a football player, like in you know, one of the, the characters in the film is actually a former football player and he's gets yeah. his ass kicked by him a couple of times, and you're like, that's that's not who he is, right? That's not who his character is. He's he's a talker. So it makes perfect sense that he's gonna get dominated in a fight. Yeah. Um so it's very cleverly and skillfully done in mm. it's established the character who is a badass. We tell we know why, you know, mm. we know why this guy's not much of a fighter and it all works. So yeah. um if, if you're out there and you're a writer and you're thinking to yourself, how do I I wanna write, you know, a character who's a who's a female character or whatever, inclusive scroll, just study at the feet of James Cameron because he's already done it. He's shown you he's shown you a way. Yeah. Um, the the other thing that I will point out about the relationship between Mace and Lenny is that they inform the other character. They they develop the other character as well. As you said, it, he is the damsel in distress in many of the physical altercation situations, but it never weakens him in any way and vice versa. And they because they are very strong well-written characters, very well-rounded characters, when you're t seeing one do their speciality, it informs on the other one and it helps breathe more life into that. So often um, you end up just having these bizarre scenarios where one character is all it is about and it's just like everything is to serve that ca other character. It never goes the other way and it's... It's especially evident in a lot of superhero movies where it's all about serving the the hero rather than just lift all, you know, <laughs> high tide raises all ships kind of thing. What do you make of a uh, uh, criticism hero? What did you mm. make of her basically and telling her she was in, telling Lenny she was in love with him? I felt that that was a little tacked on personally. Yeah, yeah, I don't... I don't think they needed it. Um, not necessarily against it, but it was an extra layer that I think they could have quite comfortably done without. Um, but again, they're, you know, Angela Bassett and Ralph Fiennes are fantastic actors and they played it very well. And it doesn't take up a lot of the screen time. It doesn't slow the pace down. Um, to like, struggling points or anything like that, it's it's good in that regard. So I'm okay with that. It, yeah, it, I would have liked to have seen it kept at the level of a platonic friendship because um, you don't see a lot of those in cinema, um, and it's almost not interesting enough to get um, included. Uh, it's not on the same yeah. level. You need you need that love angle to really give that 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 relationship yeah. legs. And I don't think this relationship needed it quite so much. Mm. Um, another weak point of the film for me was well, a very, 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 very subtle weak point. I'm being a bit picky. Um, Tom Sizemore, okay, spoilers here. This is a 30-year-old, 26-year-old 26 26 film. You know, mm -hmm. if you haven't seen it yet and you don't want to know what happens, it'd be usual. Fast I'm not getting spoilers up for this. <laughs> as soon as you see Tom Sizemore, oh, he's the bad guy. Like, Especially with that guy. I mean, the only other, the only slight swerve here was the fact that Michael Wincott is in it, who, for yes. those who don't familiar, is a, devil, a deep, gravelly-voiced guy from The Crow, um, who is the bad guy. And the from um, Robin, uh, Robin Hood. Oh, yes. What, what, what is the one of the acts? Um, 
Um, but I think he was the guy from the crew. I think he might have been the guy who shot uh, Brangley, maybe. Um, don't quote me on that. Um, but um, he's always a bad guy as well, really. You know, he's like, he's, yeah. not, he's kind of a douche, but he's not the villain um, yeah. in this. Um, but you're like, and you go, well, it's Tom Sawyer. Well, Tom Sawyer was always the bad guy, pretty much, except for thinking Heath, he wasn't the bad guy. Um but you're like, oh, you see, you're, with that haircut, it's it's totally Tom Sizemore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, you just you just look at it and go, yep, it's Tom Sizemore, and he's got that haircut. Whoop, whoop, whoop. That said, though, this is a this film's as close to my uh, League of Villains film I talked about earlier in the year with Mads Mikkelsen in it because it's got Tom Sizemore, always a bad guy. Michael Wincott, yep. always a bad guy. Vincent fucking D'Onofrio, pretty commonly the bad guy, and William Fickner. Yep. Also, always the bad guy. Uh, you yep. stick Matt Mickelson and Christoph Waltz in there, and we'd almost have it entirely covered. But um, <laughs> it, it's it's interesting. You mentioned it had a, a stunning cast. It's it's mm. probably a fairly, in hindsight, a very good cast. But in 1995, maybe not so much. Like, I mean, oh, yeah. Angela Bassett and Ray Fiennes have just come off Oscar nominations for Schindler's List and What's Love Got to Do With It? Um, mm. and Juliet Lewis is a familiarish face at the time, but there's mm. no A triple A movie star in this movie. It was like you go through it, you can go through the um, the trivia. I'm pretty sure they offered the lead role to anyone in Hollywood, you know, Mel Gibson, Stallone, Schwarzenegger, mm-hmm. you know, all those guys, um, Bruce Willis, but none of them wanted it. Uh, and they probably yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger, Denzel Washington, Michael Keaton, Tom Cruise, Jeff Bridges, Mel Gibson, Bruce Willis, Andy Garcia, Nicholas Cage, Patrick Swayze, John Travolta, Sean Penn, Bill Paxton, Dennis Quaid, and Kurt Russell. Um, a lot of Hollywood. <laughs> but they landed <laughs> on the guy who needed the American role, I guess. Um, but <laughs> that, that might have been part of a reason why this film didn't do very well. When no, it came out. no, it didn't. It is definitely your, your definition of cult classic. And it's extraordinarily difficult to find. Yes. Like we had to jump through hoops to get this. Like, uh, <sighs> we basically had to steal a copy, and I'm not afraid to say it because you won't fucking sell it to me. Yep. Um, and that's an interesting it's thing in- we are finding doing the, the chain movie thing where we're being a little bit mm-hmm. random and we're trying to pick unobvious films that, you know, are yeah. a little bit outside the main. I mean, this is not too far outside the main. It's a bit of a cult hit, but it yeah. truly has never been released on Blu-ray. There's, I nope. think, a, a, there is an out-of-print DVD you can get. Um, nope. And I'm not, not certain, on any streaming service. Um, not yeah. on YouTube. Uh, yeah. it, was, it was a very dark version on YouTube. I think that's it. Um, yeah. But, uh, like, I, I, it's becoming incredibly obvious. Like, actually, when I go for and I think about picking what movie I'm going to do next, what I mm. do while I'm doing it is I actually check I'm like, hmm. is it on a streaming service? Can I find a copy somewhere? Um, because it's just, it's, it is interesting. I reckon it would have been easier to do this job hmm. 25 years ago in some ways than it is now. Because yeah. video stores existed. Um, yeah. And I remember you know, in the video stores, I remember when this came to, to VHS and DVD and there was the shelf of them. And I remember that. The, the three heads with strange days, the black on the background. It was great, very minimalist front cover. I remember seeing that. Uh, yeah, I definitely saw it on VHS, I think, back in the 90s when it came out. Because I'm like, oh, my, that yes. cast is amazing. Um, yeah. 
and the soundtrack was pretty cool too. So anyway, it's just an interesting observation that um, like it's becoming inc- actually becoming more difficult now in the age of streaming to see mm. to see movies than older or maybe slightly older movies than it was twenty five years ago when physical media was more of a thing. And it's quite fascinating, mm. but I don't understand. Maybe you know one or two films occasionally you come across where there's a rights thing. You know, like, yeah. you know, who owns a rights to this? Someone's dead, you know, this company going bankrupt, you know, but it's so common that mm-hmm. it's hard, you literally have to actually go to not quite the dark web, but you have to result to to downloading to actually be able to see, you know, the films we want to watch. It's, I think it kind of falls into an odd scenario because it's Lightstorm Entertainment that produced this, which is Jim Cameron's production company. And I think pretty much all of his projects have been at Fox um, that he has directed at the very least. And so they are generally all available or will all eventually be available on Disney. Um, But I don't know what the situation is with Strange Days because obviously it's not directed by Jim Cameron. It's directed by Catherine Bigelow. And you can tell that it's a Catherine Bigelow directed movie. When you look at some of the other stuff that she did with Point Break, you think of um, the the Hurt Locker, you think of Zero Dark Thirty, any of those movies, she has got a very gritty, boots-on-the-ground kind of attitude. It's very visceral uh, filmmaking. It's very pessimistic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, Throughout every moment of it, it's bleak. Like, I don't think there's a single... I don't remember a sequence happening during the day. I, apparently it was like an 85 day shoot and 75 days were night shoots or something like that. It's like, that's, that's a dark movie and it's a bleak movie. It's always very, very packed streets, uh, fires burning, people smashing shit up. It's very bleak. It really captures um, the, so like the dark side of the the turning of the new year with Y2K and people kind of coming in, like it opens with um, it's like the voiceovers is like, Oh, the, the end of days, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, people were actually talking like that. I, I remember so, the, this film, I think was definitely, he wrote this original story in 86, James Cameron, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he didn't write the screenplay, but the idea and the story is, I think uh, a Cameron original. But he, they, were, they picked it up again, I think, after being inspired by the L.A. riots and the Rodney King yes. thing in the early 90s. And that can, you can see that at the end of a film. Um, there's a scene where Angela Bassett is beaten by multiple police with their batons before they're turned on by the crowd. And that, mm. I think, is the Rodney King moment writ large um, for the yeah. film. And that ending scene kind of being, you know, the L.A. riot kind of inspired bit. But also the, the streets mm. with cars burning uh, yeah. There's also a scene of you maybe very subtle, but like being a history nerd, I got it. Um, but there's a character, an Asian character, standing outside a grocery store with a ship with like a, a rifle as this chaos goes on around him. And, and again, I think that's a direct reference to the LA riots, where um, Asian-owned businesses in black neighborhoods were targeted and mm. to be burnt and, and looted by the rioters. And there are famous pictures of. Asian store owners up on the roof of rifles shooting at at the rioters to depend their businesses. So um, yeah, I'm pretty sure that was not there by accident. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that that little nod's like this is a very 
a film. This is 95. I think Ryan's from 92 from memory. So mm-hmm. this is a film that's very heavily influenced by the, that, that, vibe, that apocalyptic vibe that was going on in, yeah. in that city in particular um, uh, in the early 90s. Um, and, again, you think about a film like um, Demolition Man. Okay, it's a strange leap, but go with me. Um, you know, that whole idea of like the, that society was a crumbling edifice that was going to be, uh, you know, um, where John Spartan wakes up in the future. He's like, oh, I thought the, the, the future would be a cesspool, you know, a rotting cesspool or something. Yeah. But, yeah. And he didn't expect the world that he woke up to. It's kind of played as a gag. But this was yeah. not an unusually pessimistic attitude at that point in time. There were a lot of movies towards the end of the the 20th century that really did take a a pessimistic view of it. I mean, even you look at the matrix and um, the way that they talk about society and the turn of the century, the birth of AI, and then it crumbled. (laughs) It's like, okay, um, that's again, that's very pessimistic. And you, you just see it through all of it. We talked about it before the crow, um, that's a very, very pessimistic <laughs> portrayal of a part of, of a city. It's, it's lawless. It's almost like the next, the next logical step before you get to Mega City 1 and Judge Dredd. <laughs> it's, it's really bleak. <laughs> and I liked it. Um, it was also a very pessimistic take on the, on the police. The police are not represented well in this film. Oh, they are not. Uh, yeah. And again, you kind of think to yourself and go, would they do that today? I mean, like, I mean, maybe. I think it was, you know, initial thought was no, but I'm like, well, you know, Hollywood are very big on the Black Lives Matter thing. But, I mean, mm. um, would they be so brazen as to represent the police so negatively today as being crooks and murderers, as they essentially are in this film? Um, I, think, I, I, would... I think that there's, they do, but it's definitely more of an individual thing, whereas this movie shows certain levels of corruption and um, antagonistic nature throughout from, from the street walking police officers right up to city hall. Whereas you think of uh, movies like street Kings or um, uh, the Denzel Washington one. Training day. Uh, Yeah. Training day. They're all, they are about corrupt, horrible cops and things like that but it's about one it's very specifically about one it doesn't damn the whole institution and i don't know whether we would get that now but at the same time it could very well be ripe for it uh, you're right they, they probably wouldn't wouldn't tar all police for the same brush you'd be like oh it's mm. just bad apples um mm. where i think this film is uh, perhaps a little i'm a little bit on the page of you being not quite all the way there um <laughs> is essentially the, the, the film revolves around the fact that two police officers randomly decided to murder a famous rapper, one of them being, being Vincent D'Onofrio and William Fickner. Those are two police you do not want to run into. Um, <laughs> um, speaking of, apparently Vincent D'Onofrio could be back into the MCU, but when he's in the, next, in the, in the yeah. Spider-Man film is um, uh, his character from Daredevil. Um, yeah. Which is actually not a terrible thing because he was good in that. He was very good. Um, um, but anyway, he is good in this game. They just randomly, we find out, we don't even know at the start what has happened. We know that no. they're trying to shoot somebody. We find out later that they pulled over Jericho One, who's like a Tupac Shakur kind of character. Mm. Um, and for being black, essentially, is the insinuation in the film. And when he starts talking, mouthing off to the police, they decide to shoot him and his entourage. 
and to yeah. cover the whole thing up, you know, one of his entourage escapes who happens to have a squid tech on her head, which means she has a recording of the fact that they did the murder. So the yeah. entire rest of the plot is driven by them trying to track down and retrieve that recording of them murdering Jericho One. <laughs> it's a slightly weak motivation for me to drive the story because we don't really know very much about Jericho. He's dead at the start of a film. Yeah. Uh, he sort of gets seen to it. Oh, he's a really big deal. He's a really big deal. Um, mm. But we don't really actually know him or care about him as a character. So yeah. I kind of feel like that's a fairly weak motivation to drive the story forward. Yeah. And I feel like that's, for me, that's that's the biggest sin of the movie because it ends up, not necessarily being a mess in so like oh it's it's terrible it just it's messy narration of the story and progression of the story because like i said before it's like an hour or so before you really before lenny sees this footage for the first time and realizes that he's in a dangerous situation and it's just been a very bizarre kind of almost documentary following this sleazy guy through the underbelly of the city and his reaction, his interactions with other people around him who are all equally broken in some way or another. And then suddenly it's like, okay, this happened. And then it becomes a chase movie. And it's like, okay, that's, it's definitely picking up pace now. It just, it just kind of feels disjointed, I guess, is a better way for me to describe it. It's a fair, it's a fair, it's a fair complaint. I think we're talking about a similar thing. Is they kind of waited too long to tell us what's happening. Yeah. Um, yes. And we, we are almost kept in the dark as long as we are kept in the dark as long as the character is. Um, yeah. And I don't know. I think we need to have, have a little bit more of knowledge about what's really going on. Um, yeah. I am, um, I think it's another weakness of mine being a little picky here is. I wonder about the appeal of Juliette Lewis. <laughs> she was kind of an it girl in the 90s, but, like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, the relationship between Lenny and Lenny, Faith, she plays Faith, who is mm-hmm. the current girlfriend of Michael Wincott's Philo and mm-hmm. secretly the squeeze of Max Healthy Air, mm-hmm. so character. Um, but she's a leave, the ex-girlfriend of Lenny. Uh, and he, a lot of his motivations about lusting after her, protecting her, making sure she's safe. And I guess, like, yeah, Juliet Lewis, really? Uh, I don't know. Um, yeah. she, I, just, I just find her really, I don't know, unconvincing. She's, like, known for Natural Born Killers, Cape Fear, From Dust Till Dawn, this, it's sort of like, Okay, there's definitely a type that she plays, and she plays that quite overtly psychotic psychotic woman very frequently. And I don't know, it's just like, okay. I think I get why she's cast, because she's a competent actor entirely. She's very pretty, and in a not being too too detrimental intentionally, but like Jennifer Lawrence of then, like Jennifer Lawrence went through a phase of being put into fucking everything. And it's like, okay, like the Silver Linings playbook, she obviously was playing much older character than what 
she actually is and it's like okay you're really struggling to actually portray that character you're you're in there because you're jennifer lawrence um may not have been the best choice for you but hey, she did well with it anyway what do i know <laughs> uh, i guess the fact that she can do she did her own singing in this um because she is a musician of sorts um and she had the band <laughs> <laughs> well, not what she's been, but in the same way I would say Russell Crowe is a musician of sorts. He has a band. Um, <laughs> uh, Tony Collette has a band. Um, Jeremy Renner releases records. Bruce Willis used to release records. Um, yeah. Steven you know, Seagal. In, <laughs> in that kind of bracket of performers, the, the music she performs is uh, PJ Harvey songs, which are not a terrible choice. Um, no. The look of the film is probably one of the main attractions for me. Um, mm. It, 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 you've mentioned the camera work. The first-person sequences are amazingly beautiful. Mm-hmm. They hold up spectacularly well, even 25 years later. Uh, mm-hmm. And just the set design, the the vibe. Can, I don't know. Um, the pre-millennial tension is is really yeah. nicely done in this. And it was a moment in time, right? Because it was mm-hmm. gone, right? Because the, the millennial yeah. bug didn't really become a thing. And yeah, the world didn't fall apart. It took another twenty years for that to happen. <laughs> um, so you know, um, it was an interesting moment to be alive and old enough to recognise what was going on. Uh, yeah. And I think this film captures that lightning in a bottle moment pretty nicely, even though it was done in '95. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think it it did a, a good job of. It's kind of future-proofing itself just by the way that, you know, we we see snippets of Lenny's relationship with Faith when he's kind of reminiscing and just sitting there thinking about going roller skating. And that's possibly the, uh, the only one, the only sequence I can remember that was in Sun and it was of this happier, more hopeful, optimistic time. And then every, every time it cuts back to him, it's just this sad, pathetic man sitting on the floor with a, on his head, you know. <laughs> I mean, I love the idea of a tech as well because I mean, you know, if someone somewhere at Facebook or something is working on that right now, you know. Yeah. Well, those headphones—they're—they're uh, they're reading your thoughts, Travis. You think I need headphones about these days? Like you, I am—I <laughs> am vaccinated now. I'm fully wireless. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, George took his first step into a larger world today by joining the Astro Zucchini clan. Mm-hmm. That's a, we're very lucky, but we're still talking to each other because I'm part of the phone. Is a pun. Well, the, the reason why I can't do that one, the Pfizer clan, is because I'm too young, and it would take way too long to get that one. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a mess. Yeah, it's kind of a mess. But like, um, I, I love the idea of a, of a memory recording tech. And you're right. If somebody, yeah. um, if, if somebody came up with it, it would be. Yeah, you think Facebook's bad for society? <laughs> wow. Um, well, it, it it made me think of um, the episode of Black Mirror, The Grain. Yeah, very similar in that way. Because, yeah. Um, that, that was a complete history of us, I think it was called. Um, oh, Robert that's Danny, right, yeah, yeah. Robert Downey Jr., I think, actually optioned that. Um, uh, yeah. um, but I, I, I can see that sort of tech being... Very, very close to being a thing. I really can't. I have no idea if it's remotely possible, but you know mm. someone's going to try and make it possible. 
Uh, it's also oh, the key yeah. one of the key plot points in Ready Player Two, the, the awful sequel to Ready Player One, um, which may or may not be turned into a film. Mm-hmm. Honestly, if you liked the first book, don't read it. It's fucking terrible. Um, <laughs> I that's why I'm here. I did it for you. Um, yes. uh, anyway, this is this is this, I'm glad to have gone back and watched this again. It was an interesting mm. trip. Yeah, me too. I think it was definitely worthwhile revisiting and while it's i guess it's lost a little bit of the shine from when i first saw it back when it was released probably i still think it's um i think it's quite an important movie to have like we've we talked about the legacy of um bullet and dirty harry and i think that this is also indicative and informative of the 1995 96 97 era of filmmaking Definitely. Uh, now, yeah. I am going to take us somewhere quite different. Um, I'm going to take us to something I have seen, but I have not seen this film for probably 30, 35 years. Um, and okay. I think it's a film that is currently being reassessed. It might be a polite way of putting it, um, whether it deserves it or not. And I think maybe it's a film for us to, win, to dip our toe into the water, to take our part in that reassessment and go, did it deserve what it got at the time. We are going to be following the great, the one, the only, Richard Edson, who played uh, Tick, I think, in this film. Uh, okay. And we're going back, way back to 1986, where he played the character of Richie in Howard the Duck. I, actually, uh, the, uh, the Marvel character, one of the very earliest Marvel characters that got a film. Why do you hate me? <laughs> it's currently being reassessed. It's literally playing at the Melbourne International Film Festival this year. It's playing uh, at the Astor on, it's playing at the Astor on Saturday night. Unfortunately, so, I can't go, but um, it is on Prime. Uh, <laughs> a sarcastic humanoid duck is pulled from his homeworld to Earth where he must stop an alien invasion with the help of a nerdy scientist and a struggling female rock singer starring uh, Jeffrey Jones, but to say nothing about that one, uh, Leah Thompson, uh, Tim Robbins, um, amongst others. Um, produced, I think, um, by George Lucas. I think so, yeah. I think it, was, it, was a, it certainly had a lot to do with it. If He didn't, he didn't write it he did, or direct it, but it was definitely under the imprimatur mm. of Lucasfilm, if I'm not mistaken. I think um, I think if I remember rightly, there was something in the that popped up on my feed the other day that Robin Williams was going to be the voice of Howard the Duck and then quit after like three days because it, it was awful, or he couldn't he didn't like the the sync work that was happening between his voice work and the duck the puppet. So obviously you familiar with him, you don't like it, but what I'm saying is this is a film that is currently being reassessed. Howard the Duck is canon MCU. He was in Endgame, and he was in one of the Guardians films, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he, he was, was in the end of Guardians 2. Thank you, um, James. And he was in the battle uh, at the end of Endgame. Um, so, yeah, but there were there were hundreds of people that were in <laughs> that battle. <laughs> he, he, there's only one duck, though. Um, so <laughs> uh, no, I... Call this being a giant pile of shit when I saw it back in the eighties, but mm-hmm. you know, 
maybe with an adult perspective, I will get a different idea of it. Yeah. <sighs> I'm going to punish you after this. This is a genuine thing. Like, it could be good. <laughs> yes. And I could also suddenly develop muscle mass and not take off in a light wind like a kite. It's also written by the guy who wrote Emilia Jones and Temple of Doom, so I'm just making it easy for you, really. Um, or you go back to the future. It's so many places to go. Jeffrey Jones, Terrence no. Bueller's Day Off, uh, Tim you Robbins. Op- you opened us up to bad superhero movies, so Tim Robbins was in Green Lantern. I'll make you watch that motherfucking movie, I could have gone to Green Lantern. Um, uh, Angela Bassett was in Green Lantern, so... Yes, she was. Yes, she was. So I did not. I, I thought we'd go to something a little bit more interesting, something we haven't seen in a very long time. Fine. I think it's, I think it's <laughs> going to be that. I don't think it's going to be as bad as you reckon it is. If nothing else, it will be an interesting time capsule for what we were talking earlier about what is what do superhero films look like after Superman before Batman? <laughs> Where would we be without Howard the Duck? <laughs> no, no, no. More to the fact of like this goes back to my question from before. What would superhero films look like if we didn't have a super weird, super edgy, out there, Tim Burton, cool Batman? You know, true. Would we see stuck with campy, ridiculous superhero films like this? Um, you know, would Batman be? You would have gone ahead with you know campy, ridiculous Batman, Adam West style. They would have actually re- properly released the um, the Fantastic Four movie. Man, that probably wouldn't happen. <laughs> that, that was not as, as as superhero films made on a shoestring go. That was, that was one. It was, it was better than the Captain America film. That's true. That's true. I'm not saying very much. That's not saying, not saying yeah. much. But anyway, so that's next week. George will be. Very unhappy to, to watch Howard Duck. It is a said it's available to stream on Amazon Prime in Australia if you are keen to watch along and punch. Or, as I said, it's playing at Myth in Melbourne. It's playing at the Astra on Saturday night. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. We've given you something to look forward to on Saturday night. I don't know if there are tickets available. <laughs> you know, you never know your luck. It's true. Um, Caro Kitty just popped in the chat and said there's always Dark Man, which I recently went back and rewatched. And it was definitely the test bed for Sam Raimi doing superhero movies. And it was, was a that, movie. Was that, that, was the, um, that was the film, if I'm not mistaken, that Alec Baldwin passed on, on doing. Um, Alec Baldwin was in that, wasn't he? He was a bad guy. Not, uh, not in Dark Man. Yeah, that was that something else. Um, Liam Neeson was the, the Dark Man. What was the, was yeah. the Shadow? Um, that was Alec Baldwin. Yeah, and that was the one that was a, he passed on doing uh, another uh, uh, Tom Clancy film. Um, Clear and yeah. No, no, the yeah, Patriot Games. He passed on Patriot Games to do. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, so it's not Dark Man, but um, uh, that has a, a much better rating than How the Duck. So, um, yes, you tune in next week and you can hear George give me all the hate Cry. in the world. <laughs> I'm telling you now, it's being, it's, it's currently being reassessed. It has, it's had a, people giving it another chance. I don't know if we should too. Yes, I'm, I'm sure that it is being reassessed and I'm sure that that assessment is going to remain. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Francis McDormand was in Dark Man. That would have been an interesting choice. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, keep going to Fargo after that. But anyway, um, <laughs> shall we move on to the most important thing of a week, um, mm-hmm. being our um, sponsors. Our, our sponsors of a week. So I'm just going to yeah. queued up. Get We've got cute. some fantastic sponsors this week who have kindly donated their but nothing really, but you know, you get to enjoy <laughs> it. Look what they've got at Wobby's World. At Wobby's World, there's heaps to do. Bring your friends and mum too. Visit the castle or fly in the sky. Wobby's World has lots of rides, helicopters, fire engines, trams and slides. Wobby's World, Springdale Road, not a Wobby. It's great at Wobby's World. Grandsile, 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 where in Brunswick and Putzdale, Franco Cozzo, have the pleasure to present to you Il Modernissimo. Bedroom suites, dining room, and wonderful lounge. Why don't you come for yourself and have a look at this magnificent, il modernissimo, only can found from Franco Cozzo. Buy from Franco Cozzo. Megalo, 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 se pullibasco Franco Cozzo. Trapezeria, crevato cameras, salonia, carreclesi, apoto Franco Cozzo. E latte, nagorazite, e pepla, sto Franco Cozzo. In Pranzic, and put this guy. Nagorazzi to Franco Cozzo. Franco Cozzo, per la prima volta in Australia, dichiara guerra, guerra e prezzi, grande svendita. Dove? A Brunswick and put this guy. Se i migliori mobili volete comprare, oggi, domani e sempre, da Franco Cozzo dovete andare. Dove? A Brunswick and put this guy. Comprate da Franco Cozzo. In the way of our tribe, a warrior must fight the great grizzly with bare hands, like these mighty warriors before you. G'day. Come and I'll show you some of my favourite spots around Australia. Coonamble, Coonalpin, Coonnewa Bridge. Stop the bridge. Coonawarra, Coondoomerang, Coonabarabran. Love that Coon taste. Now let's talk to some real cheese experts. You mean Coon cheese experts, Peter. <laughs> See what I mean? Been eating Coon cheese for 60 years or more. Me too. 60 years? Come on. All around Australia, people love that great Coon taste. Say cheese. There you have it. Uh, I told you a couple were in pretty bad taste. Uh, I should note that um, Coon Cheese has currently re- renamed itself Cheer Cheese just recently. Quite controversial. Is it, is it in like Cheer? It's in C H E E R, Cheer. It's not called Coon yeah. anymore, it's called Cheer because, yeah, um, the, uh, <laughs> there are some. There are some connotations to the previous name, which were perhaps undesirable <laughs> in certain quarters. Uh, well, I, you know, I think it's just that the guys at South Park just said, excuse me, you can't use that because Eric Cartman is the coon. Um, and unfortunately, <laughs> I have to advise everyone that Wobby's world isn't there anymore. <laughs> it's oh, a thing when, when people would travel from around the world to go to another wedding, um, 
<laughs> for their, their, their fabulous tram and helicopter rides out. I would beg my parents to go to Wobby's World when I saw that commercial. Like, it's too far away. It's too expensive. Um, and they probably just saved me uh, you know, an hour and a half in traffic and a pretty shitty afternoon. So. And I think also, just to note there, that, uh, the second commercial being uh, the Franco Gutzel is a reason why Footscray is properly pronounced Footscray, not Footscray, Brunswick and Footscray. Footscray. Um, Footscray. It's called Footscray for a reason, and he's the reason. Uh, and okay. Karen, you're probably sitting there in your in uh, you're in Washington, if I recall correctly. You know, WTF? What the hell is he talking about? <laughs> bit of culture. It's a bit of culture for you on a Wednesday morning. Okay, so. Travis, I need to just clarify something. None of what we saw was culture. <laughs> or at least good. <laughs> That's Australia, mate. <laughs> uh, I tell you what, it's um yeah, coming 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 from a, a country that considers bread and butter pudding cuisine, you know. Um No, it's considered food. <laughs> which <laughs> which is a broad umbrella <laughs> you know deep deep fried mars bars are cuisine in uh Vinicius. that's Scottish. <laughs> it's all the one place right how many countries are in this country oh, 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 oh. i apologize for all my all our scottish listeners out there their own bloody fault they had the chance to get out and they all voted no so they can fuck right off new hampshire um, Clearly, people in the UK don't actually know what voting is. <laughs> well, apparently not. Um, and um, good morning to you, Cara Kitty from New Hampshire. I haven't been I'm New Hampshire visiting. It's in the northeast. I knew it was up that way, sort of. It was the east. It's the right side of a country, right? So, um, you know, uh, I've been to New York, but it's as far. I've been to Buffalo, which is also in New York, but as far north as I've been in the United States, and it was fucking cold. <laughs> I remember I, was, I had a hire car, and I was taking it back to the, the, um, the airport, and I was filling it with gas, your gasoline. Um, and, and Stop putting on that terrible American accent. <laughs> the guy's like, what are you doing here? It's cold. And I'm like, oh, mate, I'm just turning the car, filling the car up before. I, I do get like significantly more Australian when I visit the United States, because I tell you what, that accent opens doors in that country. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, no, nah, mate, I'm just filling it up, taking back to the airport, eh? Um, and um, it's like, where are you from? I'm like, oh, I'm straight. He goes, you're a long way from home. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, pointing out the bleeding obvious is apparently a national pastime. <laughs> so um, there's, a, there's a tip for anybody who are ever allowed to travel again and you get to visit the United States. Um, I, I highly recommend being as Aussie as possible. I think hopefully most of you will attest that I don't often put the Queensland I at the end of sentences, but do it. <laughs> it's so much fun. Anyway, we've had our sponsors. We've had our train movie. We know George's yes. Northwest train movie. Um, what else have you got this week? Um, I carried on with the Fear Street trilogy on Netflix. And I finished watching uh, part two and part three. And I'm going to just quickly pull that up here. Just have that trailer just in the background like that. 
And yeah. So as I was saying previously, um, part one set in the nineties and it definitely has that kind of feel of like scream and those quintessential slasher horror movie kind of vibes to it with a supernatural element. And they Netflix released fear street part one, 1996. Then one week later they released fear street part two, which was 1976. And then another week later, they released the third part, which was Fear Street, 19, uh, no, 1666. And I really enjoyed it. Whilst the, the story itself is somewhat obvious, um, it did really good things. And it's particular, the way that it used narrative across the three movies was fantastic. Because whilst each movie was... Um, very much its own movie. Um, it also actually served almost like a mini series because you got these great little sequences. Um, the, the story is essentially told in 1996. And then the uh, 1976 and 1666 are kind of flashbacks to round out more of the legend around um Sarah Fear, who is the um, the known witch that is causing all the trouble in this uh, in this very very poor side of, of town, um, and in Fear Street Part Three, it goes very much into kind of the, the almost like a a slasher movie in the Crucible or. Um, the village or something like that, where it is very obviously um, period piece. It's kind of American settlers still just finding their feet and things like that, but it does really, really well. And I really hope that more filmmakers actually go this route because it was actually a really good opportunity. And I've talked about this in the past with Zack Snyder, where one movie is too short for him to be able to actually um, do what he wants to do. And so this is a great way of him doing one giant movie, but spread more palatably across the rest of it. And I'm really hoping that they, they invite him to do something like that, invite Christopher Nolan to do something like this. It's, it's just a new way of delivering larger storytelling and what was really good about it as well is the characters are all actually well-rounded. Like there is the, the main character is lesbian in 1996 and it's a very, it's done very well. It's not thrown in there because they want to tick boxes. It's just, just it happens to be part of her character and it informs on some of the antagonistic relationships on what happens. And it informs on how society is between the two sides, the rich side and the poor side of this, of this township. And it does it really well. So yeah, I just really, really enjoyed it. It's, yeah, it's good. good, good things about these films. Yeah. They really seem to like them. Yeah. They're, they're not like masterpieces or anything like that, but they're really solid. They're well-written. They're entertaining. They are a bit spooky. In some some cases, the 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 violence is pretty violent. Like there's an 
axe goes to the face and it you see the axe go into the face and cave it in um so if you are squeamish then you're gonna find it hard but overall i think you're gonna enjoy it because it's just a really good movie that or good series of movies that you can just you can't really jump into like part two or part three on its own because it is part of a larger story arc but the fact that all of them are on netflix it does make it very palatable and they do have kind of like previously on in front of the the two sequels but if you're jumping in at part three that's just a weird weird place to start so just don't do it just watch from fear street one and if you don't like the way that it tells its story in part one just jump just bounce because it's it's very clear on what it wants to do and how it wants to do it and it does that throughout all three transporting you through these different points in time and expanding the story and the legacy and the legend behind it interesting so, yeah um you're, you're saying it has a scream kind of vibe she directed mm. two episodes of screen basically the creator and director and writer um mm. directed two episodes of a screen tv series yeah back in the mid to mid 2010s so she um obviously mm. had some heritage there to work with in the sense she's had some yeah uh, fairness so i don't remember the screen tv series I think I watched like one episode of it when it came out, but I don't really remember that. <laughs> They're doing another Scream film, I think, when I read it correctly, is a Scream film. Yeah, and I think it's Kyle. I think they got the whole, is it four? They're just calling it Scream because. Yeah. Fuck you if you remember the first one from 96, which well, I do. Everyone, um, everyone wants to have a branding issue. <laughs> uh, and they got the whole thing back. You don't see much of Neff Campbell anymore. Um, no. Anyway, so it, it's interesting that the, it seems to have had a bit of a hit because I think a lot of people have been talking mm. about it, how good it is. Well, it's it's more of your kind of classic old-school horror movie rather than um, torture porn kind of thing. which Or found footage, like, which we have so much of today, right? Yeah. Uh, it's it's um, found footage, that sort of stuff, and it just it feels very boring now, so it's nice to actually have just a horror story that also tells a story. <laughs> um, because I know, um, uh, I was reading recently, the, uh, what was it? The franchise has got Funky Johnson and one of the Wilson guy in it. Um, oh, the, the, um, the, the Conjuring. The Conjuring yes, franchise has made like over, well over a billion dollars or something. Um, yeah. And I'm like, those films are awful. They're objectively terrible films, horror films and films. <laughs> They're terrible. They're all bad. Don't watch them. Um, but people do. And so you've got to be part of the franchise now, uh, even in the horror world. Vera Farmiga, not Vera Farmiga. Um, yeah. But, but it, they, that doesn't change the fact that they suck. Um, and so, or like the Sinister <laughs> films, uh, we're still making yeah. those. Or uh, the Saw films, you're still making yep. those. Uh, the Purge films, they're still making those. They make money. That's the thing. Horror movies they make money. uniformly make money, and they're usually cheap to make. Yeah. Which is why places like Bloomhouse are very, very popular, because they know how to make movies cheap, and they go, yep, okay, if we make $250 million off this movie, we have got back our money 
15 times we're we're good let's keep going which is they actually do make some decent stuff though like they've made some they invisible man with elizabeth moss but they've made some decent shit so yeah. um and uh, i think the fear street films i kind of i grew up with the um friday the 13th slasher films you know and mm. halloween to a lesser extent friday the, um the nightmare on elm street films to a lesser extent and yeah it's kind of strange that they've decided that we don't make films like that anymore mm. you know like they were so popular yeah, and they're just sort of going. We don't do that anymore. And like, well, you know, mate, there's obviously still a market for it. Well, I mean, they've tried to reboot, um, like the Freddy Krueger character, and they got um, Jackie Earl Haley to um, take up the the clawed hand um, to moderate success. They've they did a remake of Chucky. They got Michael Mark, Mark Hamill to do the voice of Chucky, um, and it was okay to not good i don't and they i i feel like the so like the classic horror movies could very easily come back if they were treated with reverence like the um the latest the the more recent halloween movie where um they got jamie lee curtis to come back and she's fucked up and she's almost as fucked up as michael myers and it's like it it was actually pretty good it's like oh okay I'll see more of that. And then they kind of fudged it with the next one, I think, from, from what it sounds like. But, oh, well. Anyway, it's a strong That's recommendation. Fear Street films have a strong view. I headed out the other night to mm. the theatre, the actual cinema. <gasps> the cinema. So for those who are not local, we have been in lockdown here until mid last week, um, yeah. I think. And it's just a matter of time until they fucking look us down again because we have a thoroughly incompetent government who has no idea what they're doing. Um, uh-uh. So, uh, but we're still not as bad as Sydney are. So, fuck those guys. That's <laughs> um, um, what you get when you vote for someone like you voted for. Um, they're almost as bad as the Poms. But I went to the cinema, not to get political. Um, uh, I went to the cinema every other day. My first, I had to find myself a new local cinema having moved house. I went to the one, mm-hmm. the Homo in South Yarra which I don't think I'll be rushing back to. And I saw Nine Days, which is a film I'd seen a trailer for a little while ago, and I was quite curious about. Nine Days stars uh, Winston Duke, Zazie Beetz, and Benedict Wong. So if you might know uh, Winston Duke, of course, played in Buku, whatever his name was, in um, Black Panther. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, Benedict Wong, of course, was in Doctor Strange. If we're talking Marvel, mm-hmm. uh, was it Ch- Wong or Chang or something he plays? That Who's Wong? Wong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's also, of course, in a fantastic role uh, in the IT crowd, if you want to go back uh, that far. Oh, um, good. Oh, yeah. Um, and Zazie Beetz uh, was, of course, in, if I'm not mistaken, it was uh, Daredevil too. Um she was in, was I? Yeah, Deadpool. Deadpool sorry, Deadpool. Uh, as I, as that, that one I always screw up. And of course, she was in Joker. Um, so yeah. some um, serious superhero movie um, uh, side, as uh, you know, um, mm-hmm. another recognizable faces in here be Tony Hale, who was probably best known, I knew straight away from Arrested Development, um, mm-hmm. and where he um, played Buster Booth. Um, and also played did the voice of Forky in uh, Toy Story 4 and Bill Skarsgård's in here as well 
Um, of course, she played Pennywise um, and <laughs> just can't get away from looking weird. So, uh, interesting little cast. <laughs> Um, a reclusive man conducts a series of interviews with human souls for a chance to be born. Um, fascinating, fascinating premise. Mm. Um, so I would describe this as a an indie art science fiction film. Um, and I think while I was watching it, I found myself going, this would make a fascinating comparison or companion piece to Soul. Uh, but the, um, the Pixar mm. film that came out last year about somewhat similar topic. So um, Winston Duke plays Will, who is, um, I guess, what one might call an interviewer. He lives in a house kind of in the middle of this huge desert, um, and he has uh, all these TVs in his living room, which uh, where basically is a first-person view of a bunch of different people who – uh, are souls that he selected to go into those bodies. Um, okay. And so he can follow their daily lives and he takes notes about what they're up to every day and has like filing cabinets. And it's all really old school technology. It's like really old CRT TVs. You record certain things that happen on their days on VHS tape. Uh, you know, it's paper filing and put in filing cabinets. Um, so fascinating old technology. And he quite obviously has a favourite. He has someone who he enjoys watching more than anybody else, his favourite soul, if you will, who ends up dying uh, in a car crash. Okay. And so their TV screen goes to a test pattern and um, he now has to take on the job of interviewing these souls to decide which one of them will get to be born into that space or that life that is now okay. available due to the death of um, the... Um, his favorite so that's quite hard on him in a sense because like obviously he's still quite cut up over you know the death of in a way um this person um and you know he has to go through the whole process and responsible for, for picking the person to replace them in a way um mm. he is allowed to be an interviewer because at one point in time he was alive uh where if benedict wong is kind of an overseer kind of thing to make sure he makes a good choice but he's not allowed to be an interviewer because he has never been alive as a soul um okay. so it's a really really interesting premise about how does one go about picking a soul to be alive and um uh, you know they go through various tasks and and and, and to, to get these guys to with their potential souls um to um you know uh test if you will to to decide whether their worthiness and uh when he has decided that he doesn't want that they don't qualify <laughs> they're not suitable, whatever you want to call it, for life. Um, he makes them say, you know, what is he, one of the things he makes them do is to actually sit there and watch the TVs and watch the other souls. And, what is your favourite thing you saw this week, the most meaningful experience you saw this week? And I'll do my best to recreate it. And so mm-hmm. he'll actually build like an apparatus in the back room of the house for someone to go on a pretend bike ride because they saw somebody doing it on the screens and decided they'd want to try it. And so the soul gets to try riding a bike for you know 20 minutes before they cease existing um so um it's a first-time director edson oda i think he's probably he hasn't already he will have probably a marvel property <laughs> very soon or a dc <laughs> property or a star wars film because the film shows a great deal of promise he has a fascinating visual style he wrote and directed this and it's a really fascinating concept 
Um, mm-hmm. I, I just love the idea of being interviewed to see if you would <laughs> qualify to be alive. Um, where the film holds up a little bit is it's very languid in its pace. It's like, you okay. know, I, I described it to somebody on Facebook this week as the artiest art film that ever art filmed. Like uh, it's okay. very artsy, very Sundance, right? Like it's made for the, the, the festival circuit. Like the music, like if you were doing a parody of an art film, this is the soundtrack you would choose. Um, oh. You know, you would this if you were making a parody of an art film. The finish of this film is probably the way you would shoot the parody of your art film. Like, um, <laughs> so it, at times it just feels like oh, and being so heavy and important here. This is such a heavy and important story. You must. You know, this is such a meaningful scene and the music's rising. And I'm like, yeah, 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 get to the point. Like, um, <laughs> it's, it's, um, it is two hours and four minutes. It could have done with 10 to 20 minutes hacked out of it somewhere with a decent editor um, okay. and really tighten your story up, tighten it up. Like, um, I don't remember how long it was last week. We're just going to double check, but I feel like Dirty Harry wasn't this long. Um, and I reckon it was around about um, an hour 42 minutes, Dirty Harry, right? And like, obviously a very different story. Um, you know, the story about a you know ventral police officer versus souls being interviewed to a live, right? But, Same. you know, but you can tell a really... There's a lot of story in Dirty Harry, right? What happens? Yeah. And it just kind of keeps happening, right? And obviously the pace maybe for a police film and a science fiction mm-hmm. film want to be different, but it's such a languid pace. He doesn't spend, he spends so long on some of the things uh, like the, the scenes where, you know, um, Will has created these experiences for the souls. And you're mm-hmm. like, yeah, I get it. It's nice. Will's a nice guy, but, you know, get on with it. Right. <laughs> Don't care about this person, this soul. Right. It's not a character we need to worry about. Mm-hmm. Um, I know they're trying to tell us something more about Will, but, you know, it's like, it, it just it really started to drag a little bit towards the end. And I'm like, okay, okay, hurry up and get there. I mean, essentially, I think the point of a film's trying to make is, um, I, I won't spoil it, what happens at the end, just in case people do want to see it. And I would say it's worth a look if you can see it locally or it pops up on a streaming service nearby. Um, is okay. that true? I think the point of a film is to, to focus on the little things, right? Like, pay attention to the things that, you know, the, the true joys in life are the things that you and I and the rest of us completely overlook because we've been alive. And for someone who has never been alive, these things would be a true marvel, a miracle. Eat a peach, ride a bike, walk on the beach with your, in your, feeling the sand between your toes and walk in the surf, you know. That sort of mm. thing is what I think they're trying to say, uh, the true joys and miracles of life. And, you know, we've, you know, you know, we privileged people being privileged to be alive um, <laughs> overlook the joy of these things. I think the kind of point it's coming to, and you're like, yeah, that's exactly what an art film would say, wouldn't it? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's it's nice, it's nice, but it, it, it's an interesting premise, reasonably well done. It looked really good, I'll give it that. The, the visual style and the the idea of him using this really, you know, late, you know, eighties technology is an interesting choice. Um, 
Uh, the acting's really nicely done. Uh, you know, it, it's a little obvious at times that Zazie Beats is going to be the character she's going to be. And again, the way it all works out is not particularly unpredictable. Um, I liked it well enough. It, it was, it was, I mean, it was okay. It was okay. I'm being a little bit harsh here. It was for a first time director, it's pretty, pretty good stuff. It's all right. You know, six out of 10, right? Like it's, it's, it's not terrible. I mean, if, if I'll pay this, so I'm going to give a caveat. Okay. Um, I went to the movies and uh, I picked my own seat and some people decided to sit pretty much right next to me, despite the fact that it was like 80% empty, 90% empty. Um, mm. Because I guess they get those, those allocated seats and oh, yeah. you could have obviously sat anywhere else, but they decided mm. to sit right in their allocated seats, which just so happened to have been, you know, one away from me. And, the hilarious thing is they dropped their popcorn the moment they sat down. I'm like, there goes 12 bucks. Um, <laughs> but they, were, they, they paid me back for my little snarky and uh, schadenfreude by being movie talkers and talking all the way through the movie. Oh, no. So I got up after about 20 minutes and I went and sat on the other side of the cinema, so away from them, so I didn't have to listen to them whispering to each other um, like I couldn't fucking hear. So, <laughs> and you could still hear them. <laughs> um, so uh, I, um, it, it that it, it gives some fairness to to nine days. Okay. I was a little, I was a little bit annoyed by by that, and so maybe I wasn't completely in the best headspace to enjoy such an artsy Ooh. film. All right, all right, fair enough. And I guess it does go against your curmudgeonly nature. What to be to be to be, yeah, to be critical of a film? Yeah, it's very 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 <laughs> very rare. It does not happen. Uh, yeah the other thing that i would like to talk about is something we haven't done in a little while i want to talk about a game okay yeah and i'm gonna talk about (laughs) one of the dumbest games that i have ever played but it's also one of the most entertaining and that is manhunter or is it manhunter or man eater i've already forgotten uh Yeah, Man Eater. Oh, yes. And, yeah. And you play a shark. And it is a revenge game because you start off, uh, you start this game, and you're playing as a fully grown shark. And you get caught by, um, what's his name? Uh, PD is like this shark poacher and he's got like one of these stereotypical sea folks with a big beard and he catches catches you quite quickly and strings you up and he kind of guts the shark and then this little baby shark falls out and do 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 um and then the story begins with you the baby shark biting off his whole hand and escaping into the water and then you play the game. You, you are an infant shark going around, swimming in the bay, slowly but surely eating all the other fish and uh, turtles and things like that as you wander through the bayou, growing up and evolving to basically get revenge on the, <laughs> the person that killed your mother. And its best way of being described is GTA... As a shark, because that's what you do. And there's a hot ton of missions that you go off and do. Like one of them um, is you go and you um, 
uh, you have to eat 10 seals. And uh, here's the opening of the, the, the movie. That's, that's your little baby shark right there, biting hand off. And then you're going around and there's all sorts of different bits. You can go around and eat people <laughs> and it's just dumb. You go around and you can get mutagens like my shark has currently got um, electric teeth and <laughs> you can just go in and it's really fun jumping up into the middle of a beach party and firing off an electric blast and watching all these humans <laughs> just going <laughs> and spasming on the floor because they're electrocuted. It's dumb. I think you'd be I don't know why like I'm metal, playing. Metal armor and stuff as well, right? You can eventually, yeah. You um, And so like the more uh, shark hunters you eat, your infamy, infamy goes up and then these special hunters come in and um, try to take you down. And when you kill them, you... Um, uh, get special upgrades and things like that. It's it's legitimately stupid fun, but if you are looking for something that you can just jump in and out of and not have to use your brain whatsoever, it's entertaining. I'm playing it on the Switch. It's available on Xbox and PlayStation, and it plays fine across all of them. It looks pretty good, honestly. Um, it's very, very much a one-trick pony, but Eh, you're a shark that eats people. What are you going to do? There's not really a whole lot of places you can take that, right? Yeah, narratively speaking. So like, oh, no, you play a character that grows up to attack Petey, but then you find out that Petey is your father. (laughs) Worst! Um, Yeah, the M. M. Night Shyamalan cut. (laughs) It was all just the fabulous dream of a goldfish. Ooh, that would be interesting. The goldfish simulator—there's probably somebody out there, right? Someone's probably already done it. Oh god, probably. But uh, it, it, it's, it's a fun game. game. Yeah. Uh, just to be clear, yes, there is a game called Goldfish Simulator. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a real thing. Um, anyway, uh, I, I actually thought about giving this a try, but the last time I saw it, I went and had a look at the price. They were charging way too much for it. Yeah, it's it's a bit pricey. Get it get it pre-owned if you can. Um but otherwise Yeah, it's fine. It's fun. Give it yeah, a try. No, I, I, that's what everyone I've heard says. It's a stupid fun. You know, probably not a really long you'd probably not a lot of replayability. You're probably not gonna be going back for multiple playthroughs. Um yeah. hence why I was a little bit like I think they were charging like I don't know, fifty or sixty dollars, and I was like, "Yeah, sounds like a twenty-five, thirty-dollar game." It sounds like a game I want to get on Xbox Game Pass, frankly. Pretty much, yeah. It's it's perfect for that, and it should. I do kind of hope that they do an online thing because it would just be hilarious to have a battle royale where everyone is just a shark. Is there a multiplayer <laughs> mode? No, it is solely solo, and. It would just be fun to literally just have so like, hey, one hundred sharks, who survives? That's actually not a terrible idea. That is not a no. terrible idea. Um, <laughs> there we go. We just created a new. We created the new Fortnite. <laughs> only we need, yeah. Well, there's only we own the IP, right? Like, um, 
you know, you could send him a, send him a sternly worded letter. Yeah. Just at them. Every, everyone who listens to this, just um, mention us when you're talking about hashtag man eater. Although I don't know. Um, of this game. Um, let me just have a quick look here. Um, uh, man eater is tripwire interactive. So I'm yes. sure they have a tripwire interactive, probably have a, they do. It's a man eater Twitter account. So that's what you need to do. Is there you go. At the, uh, at the man eater, there's a truth quiz. It's, it's an, um, there is an expansion coming out um, August 31st to PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series S, Steam, Epic Game Store. Looks like the Nintendo kitties are missing out, if I'm reading that correctly. God damn it. Fine. Um, <laughs> well, if you're going to pay on a child's t- uh, console. Oh, I went there. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what do you? By the way, speaking of the uh, the Twitch, did you um, have you seen the Steam Deck? What do you think of that? Steam Deck, I think it's an interesting idea. Um, I think it's going to cause troubles because there's already a silicon shortage, which means that the PlayStation Five and the Xbox Series consoles are hard to come by. There's the Nintendo Switch OLED coming out in October. And now you've got the Steam Deck, as well as all of the um, smart tablets, phones, and cars. There's not going to be many of them around. And at the moment, it's not officially being launched in Australia. You have to go, you have to get on your VPN and then go to Steam to pre-order it and then arrange for it to be shipped out here. It's, I don't know, I don't know quite how or why they're really doing it now. In fairness, this market doesn't matter. We don't matter. <laughs> that's that's true. We don't matter. Sadly. We don't mean people like U- US, Japan, probably not Japan because Nintendo were in Japan, but probably the US and Europe really are where you want it, right? Like, um, yeah, that's true. Uh, that's true. And, and, you know, I guess the question is, would you ever get the first generation of anything, right? Like, um, I think a friend of ours got an Ouya because they look cool. Remember the Ouya? Uh, I remember. Uh, the, the Steam controller that they had out for a while, but that didn't work out so well. Um, That's... I, remember looking, I remember looking real long and hard at the first ever foldable um, smartphone. Oh, yes. And that was a complete fucking disaster. I think the mm-hmm. second one was pretty bad too. I've heard they're coming out with yeah. the third gen um pretty soon so just um, keep trying eventually it'll work <laughs> you know, but, you know but, but if it would have said the first mobile phone ah, it's a bit big and heavy no one's going to want that we'll just quit right um it's true the, yeah iteration so um i think it sounds cool and i've heard some people say it could actually um be the switch killer right like um in the, apart it's from not going to be the switch killer Here's the thing. I don't, I don't necessarily turn. agree with that because the people who buy Switches buy it to play Zelda, Mario, you know, uh, yeah. Animal Crossing, you know, um, which obviously won't be available on the, on, mm. on the Steam Deck. But uh, I wonder how many of those people also play Fortnite, have mm. a massive Steam library of games that you'll be able to play mm. on the go if you pick one or the other. You know, we'll be I'm considering, considering how rarely think. Nintendo actually released new stuff and just not remastered versions of old games. 
I'm not rising to that bait. <laughs> but I, I'm just curious as to who this market is marketed for because it's not going to be high-end pro players because no pro player is going to want to play it on the go. It's not going to be for streamers because they're not going to, it's not going to easily be able to stream for it. It's not got the dock system as far as I'm aware, like the switch to throw it up on a big screen. I, I feel like it's a great proof of concept for dock, by the way. It does. I believe you can dock it. Yeah. Believe, to, to correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure you can dock it and get to the telly. Okay. But it's, like, I don't really know who it would be for because it's still quite expensive if you not, want to use, Yeah, if you want to, it to be your first gaming PC, it's like, don't get a handheld. <laughs> and the rate that games are expanding, the, the download size, the requirements to run them, it's going to be middle of the road at best for performance. So... I don't quite know who it's for. But, I am um, maybe it's for a younger audience. I don't know. Like I, um, I have a switch, which I think is mm. fine. I, I, I am, I am, I am ribbing towards a little bit about it, but like, um, it's fine. You know, I, I, but again, I don't go anywhere. Really. Like I don't have my, I don't have a commute anymore of note. Um, so, I mean, the world we live in, you know, I don't leave to go to work very often. I can't go anywhere. I would love to. Um, so, you know, I don't actually feel I've never for a long this time actually felt like I wanted a portable gaming system I could play. Um, I think I took it on a flight to the US once and I played mm. it for a little while. Um, that was useful if you were doing that kind of thing regularly, you know, long flights and that kind of thing, or long trips of some kind. But I just don't personally actually feel a need for a portable gaming device, frankly. But your Switch seems to have sold very well because, of course, you see it can do mm. both. Um, yeah. But um, maybe some mm. of the younger folks, they feel a need for, you know, they've grown up with mobile gaming and, you know, to have proper yeah. actual console, console quality games in their hands is something that they want. Something like this combined mm. with Xbox um, Game Cloud, uh, the uh, Xbox Cloud version that they're talking about, would actually yeah. be a fascinating. And, and I think technically Steam Deck could do that. Um, you'd probably yeah. have to do some, you'd probably That's have to do some fucking around on there um, to make it work. But mm. you're right because I think they come with fairly limited storage options. Um, mm. uh, in terms I, of I think that what's going to be more interesting is. If it does become even moderately successful, it'll be interesting to see how Nintendo respond because, you know, people for years now have been wanting the Switch Pro with um, 4K output and a better screen and faster clock speeds and all of that stuff. And everyone thought it was coming and then it was just an OLED update and it's just a more beautiful screen with a bit more onboard memory. And it's it's an, a small upgrade to something that you don't really need. You don't need it. It doesn't play games better. It doesn't do anything except look prettier when it's portable. So it's a curious one, curious half step. I'm kind of surprised that they didn't do this as, because it's the OLED screen, why didn't they do the OLED screen in the Nintendo Lite, which can't be docked? 
because what's the point of an OLED screen on a system that is docked because you can't look at that screen. So it's an interesting one. But if this is successful, we'll be I guess it seems in the fact that, you know, you have, I don't know, um, what my library has, 201 games in it. I would have maybe 100 have actually never been played. Um, but I have had a Steam library now since probably 2006 or seven. Um, yeah. So it's probably quite a small library. So if you go out to people and go for 400 US dollars, so what's that, 600 Australian? Um, mm-hmm. You know, you can have something you can take on the go with you and mm-hmm. you can play, they keep saying you can play all of those games on mm-hmm. that portable portable device. So yeah. I think that would be kind of interesting. I don't think I'd want to pay $600. If they released it here, I wouldn't pay. Yeah. You have to pay, add the Australia tax, call it $750. Um, you know, um, I don't know that I'd be rushing out, but I can see plenty of people would be interested in that. Yeah, I think it's an interesting idea. I don't. I just don't know how much of a pickup it's going to get in in the real world. But yeah, we uh, will, time will tell. Steam have money up the wazoo. So yeah, yeah, they they can they can do these experiments and see how they go. Um, should we get back to cinema? Because I have one more to to finish yeah. up. Yeah, you have anything else you want to talk about in gaming before we leave the topic? No, no, no. That's it. I'm I'm done with gaming. He gets a job in the gaming industry, and you know he's plugging games that you're available now at EA. <laughs> um, uh, I um have been, as some would know, uh, regular listeners and I've been working my way through some foreign language films of late, mainly Argentine films. Um, this week I'm going to talk about a Spanish film, but with a strong Argentine connection. Uh, and this film is called The Method. Okay. In 2005, uh, I think the Spanish title is El Metodo. Um, someone mm-hmm. will tell me if I'm pronouncing it probably wrong. Remembering my Spanish language skills extend to Donde Esta La Biblioteca. Uh, and where is the English? I learned it from a book. A book. <laughs> He's from Barcelona. Um, <laughs> so, what is the method? Uh, seven Spanish top corporate job candidates are left in a room and are informed on computer screens about their tasks, and that one of them is an observer. Let the psyching begin. So, this is a psychological thriller of sorts. Um, uh, or drama, it calls itself. I guess a psychological edge to it. So during the IMF and World Bank summit and demonstrations upset Madrid, like other capitals, major corporation Decia holds interviews to recruit a top executive from seven applicants. Their doubts start when they have to sign a clause accepting the Gronholm method, which nobody has ever heard of. It soon becomes clear that tests are dirty mind games, but never what is true and what is. But it's never clear what is true and what is the trick. They must guess who among them is the HR mole and repeatedly eliminate one of their number from the procedure. Yet priorities, ethics, and loyalty are put through stressing tests is one of the um, plot descriptions here. Okay. Um, So we have these seven people. They're put in a room. Um, They're all fairly successful folks wearing suits and stuff. They're there for a job. Uh, Mm -hmm. And it sort of says they have to fill in these forms. And a psych out starts straight away because they have to fill in this very, very similar form, but multiple times. And they're like, Hey, I've already filled this in. They're like, yeah, I know. Fill this one in. Um, and 
And so they're going, oh, what's going on? So they're put in a room and they're basically told via the computer screens in front of them that everything that they do and say is being observed um, by a team of psychologists. Uh, and as it sort of says, there's an H, one of them in there is, not, is an HR mole. They won't be told who it is. They're told to guess who it is amongst themselves. But then you're never actually told, yeah, right, you're wrong, that person is or isn't the mole. Um, and then they're sort of, you know, um, guided through these dirty trick mind games to try and eliminate, um, you know, candidates through they get down to the last couple. Mm. Um, this is an interesting film. Um, it's quite well done. I'm actually a little surprised it has not made it into a Western remake because it's actually a pretty nice uh, showcase of people's acting skills. Um, people, again, who know me, uh, I enjoy nothing better than you put a bunch of people in a room and say, mm-hmm. here's a story, act. You know, mm-hmm. talk, talk to each other. Dialogue gets me excited in, in a film when you see, when you see it. Uh, I always go back to it again and again and again, the Tom Hardy film, Lock where mm. it's just Tom Hardy driving to London in a car talking on the phone. That's the film. Uh, and it just so happens that Tom Hardy is such an incredible actor. He can keep that story completely compelling the entire time for the mm. entire you know, 90-minute, 100-minute runtime of that film. This is in a similar category. We have seven people. We don't go anywhere else. It's, it's based on a play, and that's fairly obvious. We only have a couple of different locations. They're in a room. We have a premise. They have to talk to each other. And while the dialogue doesn't rip and roar off the screen as it could, probably because it's all in Spanish and I'm reading subtitles, so mm-hmm. you're not quite getting it the way you might if you actually understood the native language. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's quite fascinating to see how the, the characters turn tables on each other um, okay. and how the mind games play out and how... Unlike, say, an American film, I don't know if we talked about it before, if you've ever seen the Belko experiment. Oh, yeah. Um, I know I saw it. Uh, it was made by, I think James Gunn had some... Yeah, uh, I remember involvement, that. ...involvement with it. I don't, he didn't direct it or write it, but he was you know, loosely connected. You did write it, sorry. He, he didn't actually direct it. It was directed by Greg McLean, the Australian. And that kind of reminded me a little bit of this. Um, But, like, whereas the Belko experiment turns into a blood fest, um, this is just, this is all psychological. This is all what's going on in their heads. Um, Big shout out to the director, Marcelo Pinero. I'm going to get ripped over for pronouncing that name incorrectly, I'm certain. He is an Argentine (laughs) filmmaker. Um, okay, uh, and I think the breakout star of this film, uh, were two of them for me. One is mm-hmm. Pablo Ashari, who plays uh, mm-hmm. Ricardo, who is kind of the closest thing to a male protagonist in the film. Um, okay. and uh, he is again, he's an Argentine actor. Um, mm-hmm. and um, the Female receptionist is played by Natalia Verbecki, who is also turned out to be Argentine. I swear to God, that wasn't deliberate. Um, but she's actually fantastic in this film. None of them, unfortunately, I don't think have done anything in, in Hollywood or in the West that you recognize. But if you like Spanish language film or you like stuff that's a little bit left field, you might want to mm-hmm. um, stick your nose into this one, 
have a look at some of their earlier work. Uh, I found the um, conclusion kind of apocalyptic. Okay. Um, I would like people to see this film, so I'm not going to say more than that. Uh, it is. It it looks at one point like it's going to subvert your expectations. It doesn't quite in the end, but um, the ending's pretty well done. Uh, some yeah. of it's a little bit like, oh, does that kind of thing really happen? You know, mm. in and then like it's Spain, maybe it does. I don't know. Um, so there's some sexual uh, content in this film. I don't know if people. <gasps> I don't know if people are likely to, you know, uh, adjourn themselves uh, to the uh, toilets for a shag in the middle of a day long, highly intense uh, job interview. Maybe that's the thing in 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 Spain. I don't know. I haven't been there. You know, could be rough um, times. Uh, <laughs> that was a plane completely different. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, that was like I'll be like, oh, I don't know if you would do that. You're in a really intense job interview situation, and you gotta you gotta try and shag somebody else. Okay, fine. Yeah, no worries. Um, I need uh, to well, yeah, but there's that. I mean, like it's a, it's a different it's a different culture. Um, the only film that really kind of reminded me of was Twelve Angry Men. Um, okay. in, in a way, in the sense of it's like, you know, those people were just in a room, conversations, conflicts, you know, working mm. through and, you know, alliances form, alliances break. Um, that was kind of, it's not in the same realm as the original version of that. Mm. Um, quite. But, I mean, it could be. Again, like the language thing, you just don't quite get the same vibe from the dialogue when you're having to read uh, subtitles. Mm. Um, but I really quite enjoyed this film. And it's, it, it was recommended to me. Um, I had to go a bit out of my way to watch it. Um, you know, I had to download an app on my phone called Filmsy. <laughs> sounds like a fake app. Right, it sounds like a, fa- a fake app that the alien created in uh in Rick and Morty. You want to start an app? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, it, but I swear to God, it, it's real. Uh, and it's a little bit like, um, what was the app that we downloaded to watch the Titanic film on? Um, oh, um, I can't remember, but it was a, it was a free was movie app, a free movie app that we had to download at one point to, um, that allowed us to watch, watch Titanic um, 2. Titanic 2. <laughs> There's some pretty awful stuff on that one. This is actually in a similar event. Um, it said it was going to show me ads to watch the film, and I'm like, yeah, that's fine. No worries. But every time I would say ad loading, the screen would go black, and then it would just go straight back to the movie. And I'm like, I felt like it was going uh, ad loading. Oh, you're in Australia. Oh, well, fuck it. Just keep watching the movie. <laughs> um, uh, so um, I don't know if it was doing that, but um, it, it's, it's, you know, streaming films, as we sort of said earlier, can be tricky. Mm-hmm. Um uh, my, my girlfriend is of Argentinian heritage. You're probably not mistaken to know this is why I'm suddenly being recommended and introduced to this whole other world of film I didn't know existed um, when we've been talking Ricardo Darín films. Um, but quite often we'll find a film that he's in and we go, hey, we want to watch that. You fucking can't watch it in this country. Can't. Mm. No options. Uh, and, you know, you've got to go work your, your ass off to find a, a version that has subtitles because I don't speak Spanish yeah. as, as we have discovered. Um, so anyway, um, it's an, it, this one 
films, he seems to have a little bit of fo interesting foreign material. So if you're like me and you like trying to find something that's a little bit left field, it looks like it works. It may be giving my phone aids. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but it, it, it worked well enough to have very easy to access English subtitles for this film for this poor, okay. uh, you know, monolingual person. Okay. All right. Real left field option, but I reckon give it a go if you're into foreign films. All right. That's cool. SBS uh, on demand is actually quite good for foreign films as well. It is also, unfortunately, something I do check. I have my uh, a, a, a website I, I check when we're talking on this show quite often. It's called uh, Just Watch. Mm, yeah. uh, and it has a streaming uh, search engine for Australia. And it mm -hmm. does include things like iView. It does include SBS On Demand. Um, mm. So uh, I do check there for my films. And this is, unfortunately, this occasion, and Matoda, I could only watch it on Filmsy. So one vote for Filmsy this week, the real hero. <laughs> the real hero of the show. All right. Well, was there anything else you wanted to talk about? Or should we round off the just show? Just quickly, just quickly. Two minutes. How hmm. up to date are you with Rick and Morty this season? I just watched the recent episode. I haven't watched this week's episode, but I watched the previous two, the mm -hmm. uh, the, the turkey one and the one before that, the giant sperm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I feel like we could be seeing the end of Rick and Morty. Yeah, and that feeling continues with this latest episode as well. Um, so it's not just not just me who thinks these last two episodes have been two of the most painfully unfunny episodes in the history of Rick and Morty. Mm-hmm. And it's not that they're unfunny compared to other Rick and Morty stuff. It's they're missing more of the jokes than ever before. Mm, that's and, a worry. Um, yeah. There have been one or two episodes here and there that have been like, whatever. Um, mm. And it started strong this season with the first two episodes were pretty good. Yeah. Um, but it really is nosedived after that. And you've kind of gone, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's been painfully average. I'm, I'm sorry to say, guys. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're definitely um, trying to put more focus on the other members of Rick's family, and it's not working. The show is called Rick and Morty, and they are the two main characters, and when you take them out of it, you lose so much energy from the show. And, and that's exactly what The Simpsons did, you know, right? Instead yeah. of having episodes about everybody and you're like, okay, you're out of ideas. Sorry to mm. say it, guys, but we haven't mm. read. We did talk about Rick and Morty a few weeks ago. I thought it might be quick to go time to revisit the go. If you're on board the Rick and mm. Morty train and you're feeling like you're not getting what you paid for this year, you're not alone. Not um, alone. If, only, if you disagree and you love this season, tell us we're wrong. Get in touch with us via the Facebook page. Uh, uh, we're on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Evil Trav. We all are at the Fried Brain, if I'm not mistaken. Correct. Yes. Um, you find us on Facebook, Fried Brain Productions. Uh, mm -hmm. We don't. Uh, and tell us we are wrong, and tell us why you think this season of Rick and Morty is still good. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. So this is, that has been our show for this week, ladies and gentlemen. It was episode 121. We talked about Strange Days as our chain movie of the week. Travis is punishing me for crimes against humanity, apparently, with Howard the Duck. Uh, that's next week's chain movie. Um, we had wonderful sponsors that are no longer relevant or e exist 
or have completely changed because of social prejudices. <laughs> um, I talked about Fear Street 2 and 3 on Netflix. Uh, Travis talked about Nine Days. Um, I had a little talk about Man Eater, not, uh, not some random woman that I know, but a computer game. And we not a whole night song. <laughs> uh, we also talked about the Steam Deck and um, the Method as well. So we had quite a quite a packed up show there. Yeah, but we ran into two hours, so you know, yeah. um, you, you, you're welcome. There we go. We're letting you out early, ladies and gentlemen. Your butt it's... is free to go and have blood return to it. Unless you listen to us on a podcast, in which case we are the fantastic noise to relieve bowels. <laughs> We're happy to be of service. <laughs> we shill for everyone, including Kleenex. <laughs> on that note, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us and we will see you next week. Good night.